Hello, and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G. Mark Hardy. I'm pleased to be your host today. I got a very special guest, Rafiq Rahman, who many of you have heard of, and if you have not, you need to hear about him because he has made some substantial contributions to our community, and we're going to be talking about some of his most recent work that is going to be of great value to you in your career, so stick around. Quickly, I'd like to make a little message from our sponsor. Risk360 is a cybersecurity technology and consulting firm that works with high-growth technology firms that helps leaders build, manage, and certify security, privacy, and compliance programs. They publish weekly thought leadership webinars and downloadable resources like budget and assessment templates. You can see more at risk360.com slant resources. It's risk360.com slant resources. Now back to our show. Rafiq, welcome again to CISO Tradecraft. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me again. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, it, if you recall for our show, we, you had been on our show back in episode number 86. That was here back on the 11th of July of 2022. And we're pleased to have you back again. And for those who do not know, Rafiq, you are the author of the CISO Mind Map, which is a tremendous compilation of a lot of useful information. And I just kind of wonder, what was your inspiration for the project? What got you started on this path? Yeah, this has been an interesting path. You know, about 11, 12 years back, I was constantly being asked about what is the role of CISO? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? And I was kind of really tired of explaining things over and over. And sometimes people get it and sometimes people don't get it. And sometimes, you know, you don't have the right time to explain everything that goes in the life of security professionals. So what I started doing was I created a small mind map initially just to explain to people, okay, you know, if I have one minute and somebody asks me, what do you do? I will share this quick mind map and say, okay, this is a copy of this. Take a look at it. There are a number of things that happen in our life on a day-to-day basis. So I did that and I shared it on LinkedIn. And a lot of people started asking me and resharing it and uh, asking me about what is new, what is update and so on. So I started creating some updates on an annual basis. And since then, it has been like every year, uh, people wait for it, who are following it. And uh, it's a pleasure to keep an eye on the industry, what is happening, what are some new challenges? Is there anything that has changed from the previous year? Is there anything that people need to think about next to 12 months, next 12 to 18 months in their life? So uh, that has been going on for more than 10 years now. And uh, we have the latest version just published, uh, I think, two months back. And this is what we are going to talk about today. Exactly. So thank you again for all that time and effort you've put in. Are there any other documents or writings that you have out there? Have you got books and encyclopedias you put together? Or is this your primary publication that you offer for others? No, I, 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 I write things. And that is like, that's my fun thing. I started writing uh, by accident, I guess uh, that's how I can put it. Back in 2020, what I was working on was getting a certification from Hewlett Packard. And 
I could not find any certification books. So I read a lot of notes and their manuals and everything. And I put some of my notes together. And once I got certification exam, then I sent them this material and I said, you know, everybody has certification. Cisco has certification books out there. Microsoft has certification books out there. You guys don't. Why don't you publish something? And these are my notes. Take it and convert it into something. And they came back to me and said, you know, why don't you do it? Um, because you have already done this work. So I started working with Hewlett Packard and uh, Printosol at that time. So that was my first published book. Since then, mm -hmm. I have written a number of other books. The latest one was about two years back. That is about security operation centers. So if people go to uh, Amazon.com and search on my name, they can find out uh, the latest one as well. I mean, there are old books, you know, in technology, things go obsolete these days. So older books, I guess probably most of them are obsolete by now. But the latest one is on how to build a security operation center. Currently, I'm working on another one, which is more on the automation. I think it's going to take me probably six, eight more months before I publish that. And like you said, apparently I'm working on the pockets. These are sort of things that grow in your backyard unnoticed. But you got a great, a great mind. And so, again, thank you for you sharing know, all. You know, one of the ways, I, I mean, different people have different ways of learning new things. Uh, my way of learning new things and really focusing on some area and going in depth and, you know, really understanding it is by writing about it. Because, you know, when you write something, you feel like compelled to know about that thing more than other people do. So it helped me, you know, just learning new things and keeping up to date. Yeah, I felt that same pressure when I was a teacher at Sands. I always wanted to make sure I knew well more than what was more in the curriculum so that if students had questions, you could explain it in different ways or you could follow down. And, and, and as a result, you find that as you develop that knowledge base, you come up with better ways of explaining. Some people suffer from the curse of knowledge, and that's the manifestation where you know something so completely, you assume all of your readers know it completely. And I remember going to a, a talk one time at a security conference and the young man giving the talk jumped in as if you had already been working with this tool for three and a half or four years. And it was an introduction to the tool. And I finally had to time out and we um, back up a little and he just couldn't really back up and nothing against him because no one ever trained him how to do public speaking or, or being a writer. But it's a good advice for people that you've offered that if you want to master something, write about it. Write about it in a way that you're going to instruct others. Uh, write a talk. Give a presentation. There's always opportunities, security conferences, B-sides, et cetera, looking for, for presenters. And that's a great way for people to get started. But let's come yep. back to the mind map for this year. So you updated it on the uh, 25th of March. And I like the fact that you put an expiration date. It expires the 30th of June, 2024, as if to say, these ideas are going to change and they do change. And so as a result, they're dynamic. There's 13 major areas. And if somebody is not familiar with it, they should go Google a CISO mind map and download it and have it in front of them as we're speaking. But what we want to focus on are focus areas for 2023 to 24. But for those who don't have it in front of them or just listening, let me just very briefly go down the list of the professional responsibilities in the InfoSec community. Yeah. We just leave it at the high level. Uh, we have budget, 
course. We're it, 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 Mark, um, sorry for interruption. I just wanted to give you a, an interesting tidbit about yes. how how uh, I started putting end date on CISA mind map. So there is an interesting story behind it. <clears throat> so as I mentioned earlier, I have been publishing this every year. So what I figured out about three, four years back that some people have very older copies of mind map and they post it on, you know, somebody just stumbled upon it and they, they got a three-year-old copy and they found it interesting and they shared it on LinkedIn and other people started liking it and not realizing that this is so... So I thought there must be some way for people to know that this is an older version, not valid anymore, and you need to look for the latest one. So so about three, four years back, I started putting an end date. Okay, if you are seeing this and this date has already passed, most probably you have an older cop older copy. So go look for a new one. So that was the story behind it. And that's, that's, thank you for sharing that. That was worthwhile. So as you say, I want to briefly list the main categories, and then we'll get into what I think is going to be the core of our discussion, which is your focus areas for 2023 and 2024. So I mentioned budget, business enablement. Absolutely, security has to be in the process of enabling the business, not obstructing it. Project delivery lifecycle, security architecture, compliance and audits, legal and human resources, risk management, identity management, governance, Something we might come back to, which I like, selling InfoSec, which you call internal branding, work from home, automation, and the most complex part of the CISO mind map has most detail as on security operations resilience. And we may refer back to these different topics in our conversation, but I just wanted to lay those out for people who have good memories, or at least they'll recognize that this has come up again. But let's get into the most important element here, which is your focus areas for 2023 in 2024. Have you done this every year or is this something that's fairly new? This, in the original, when I started original mind map, I was not doing it. Um, then many people, again, I have been taking feedback, talking to security leaders and getting to know about how they are using it. So some people are very curious about, okay, we understand it, we get it. It's a complex world we live in. And we are using it for internal marketing, for education and awareness and so on. But one feedback that I got from people was that, is there anything that you would recommend because you're talking to so many people while updating this mind map? Is there anything that you would recommend we should do in short to medium time frame? And I started digging a little bit deeper into it. And, and I think the main issue that people had, they were getting a lot of uh, information and recommendations from different vendors. And those recommendations were based upon what a vendor is selling, what their product does, and, you know, urging people to do something that is in line with their tools and technologies uh, as a sales pitch. So there was not much neutral way of looking at things for people. So so I started doing this about four years back and my objective was that I don't create a list of 20 things. I create a list of very small things. So that was number one uh, objective of this. 
Second objective was that it should be relevant to what people do and it should be totally vendor neutral, not related to any specific technology. Um, the third thing was that it should be uh, something that people should be doing in the next 12 to 18 months. So not like thinking out longer term and making, you know, grand predictions, but thinking about practicality of what is happening right now and what people should be thinking about. So, so that was the idea behind it. And if you look at like last three years, you would see some of these recommendations are actually being repeated because those are the common challenges that people have. So, for example, uh, we have been talking about, you know, building a brand for security team. We have been talking about having business acumen and making sure that people are creating value for broader technology teams and, and broader business. So there has been some reputations, but primarily I think about, you know, in next 12 months, what, what people should be focusing on. And the first of your things that you had for the next 12 months was to increase the attention on resilience. So let's talk about that a little bit. What type of resilience are you thinking? Of? I mean, first thing that comes to mind, something like, you know, defending against ransomware, but is there more to it than that? Yeah, it is more than ransomware, but ransomware is the front and center of everybody's mind. And it's amazing that in last two years, two plus years, uh, how ransomware is evolving and how much issues it is creating for security teams, not only security teams, but in general for organizations. And I was reading some research reports just two, three weeks back. And it is amazing that how many organizations are actually hit with ransomware and how many of them actually end up paying for ransom. It's a large percentage. And the most astonishing part for me was that many of those organizations actually have a policy that they're not going to pay for ransom, but they still end up paying it. So, so if you think about why it is happening, it is happening primarily because of lack of resiliency. People don't think about how they are going to make sure end-to-end -end if they have to recover from such thing, how they are going to do it. Many times people have some ransomware plans, they have playbooks, they have backups. And in many cases, they feel comfortable where they are. They have never tested those things, do actually work or not. And that creates problems for them when they're actually hit with it. So, yeah. so that's the, the main thing. Uh, when I talk about res resilience here in this first recommendation, my, my main focus is that people should look end-to-end -end about, number one, can they detect if ransomware is floating around in their environment? So that's number one. How quickly they can do that. Secondly, can they stop from spreading it? Third, do they have appropriate mechanism to recover from it? Do they have the right backups and so on? Many times people do have backups, but they realize that restoring from that backup is going to take much longer time than they anticipated. So that is a common issue that we see that people have. And lately, what we have been seeing in industry that many of the ransomware attacks, they actually attack the backups as well. So people mm -hmm. think that they have backup, but now the backup is also encrypted. So those are the kind of things. That's why I think this is, although the focus is on ransomware, but 
people should think end to end their resilience about how they can number one keep doing their business and if they are hit with something like that how quickly they can recover within appropriate time and so i think that's timely advice because as you said we've seen a lot most of the evolution of ransomware the last couple of years has gone from an availability attack to a confidentiality attack where they say well hey your, your files are encrypted and we go well we don't care we've got solid backups then they've got the other shoe drops you said well okay, then we'll just take all your customer information, protected health information, payment card information, whatever it happens to be, and we'll either just publish it or worse yet, we'll send it to the regulators and the fines that you'll pay them are more than the ransom. And so there's, there's some business logic going on there is uh, you got to give these guys credit a little bit. But of course, our job is to, if you can't absolutely totally keep them out, you got to make them work so, so hard for it that it's almost not worth it. It yeah. typically... Some organizations will just say, they're too hard, go on to the next one because there's a lot of low-hanging fruit out there. Yeah. And there is one other aspect that many people, they end up paying ransom, but still they are not able to recover their data. Mm -hmm. I mean, if this is like, according to some estimates, one-fourth of the organizations who actually pay ransom, they never get their data back. And to your point, you know, people then blackmail, okay, even if you are able to recover, we have your customer data and we are going to use it for whatever. Right. So it's one of those things like the war games, the only winning move is not to play. Yep. So let's take a look at your second recommendation, which is to reduce and consolidate security tools and vendors. I'll tell you as a CISO that as I have to justify my budget and I've got constantly, well, why do we need that? And isn't this redundant and isn't that an overlap? And my answer is, well, yes, I don't want to have a single thin film of security, then no backups and, or, or actually no redundancy. I want to have layers there and it's going to cost some money. But the advantage of it is if a vulnerability is discovered in one tool, chances are it may not exist in the second and ultimately you may survive a little bit more. And yet, if we do head into a financial slowdown period, as some parts of the economy are suggesting, this is going to become a requirement. We don't get to argue virtue and goodness. They're going to say, here's your budget, deal with it. Quickly, I'd like to make a little message from our sponsor. Are you ready to answer the question, are we protected? Introducing Prelude Detect. Prelude Detect is a production scale, continuous testing platform that gives organizations assurance that they're protected against the latest threats, that they've correctly prioritized their critical vulnerabilities, and their defensive controls work exactly as expected. And if not, Prelude's integrations with defensive controls, such as CrowdStrike, create an auto-hardening defense. Get started for free or request a demo at www.preludesecurity.com. That's preludesecurity.com. So what are your advices and recommendations for reducing and consolidating security tools and vendors? Yeah, this is one of the important aspects of uh, any security leader who is managing budget and who is responsible for uh, making sure that the security program is run efficiently. Uh, this is one of the recommendations that we made last year as well. And with the downturn, it is even more important now that people should be thinking along those lines. Uh, what happens is that, especially in larger organizations, where they are growing by mergers and acquisitions. They are acquiring new companies. So those new companies, they bring in their own tools and technologies and you end up with 10 different kinds of vulnerability management and five different kinds of 
you know, asset management and whatnot. So there is a lot of redundancy from that m and perspective, but also other organizations who are not going through m and but have multiple business units. Many times what I see is that each business unit has autonomy in what they do. And some of their people, they go and they find one tool that is more attractive to them. And the other business unit goes and find something else, which is more attractive. And you end up with having a number of tools doing the same thing. In many other cases, when people have good times and have good budget, they don't think about overlapping functionality as well. And they go and buy new things. And now you have one tool that is doing 20% of its capability and the other one is doing 30% of its capability. And you are never fully utilizing it. Well, the major issue that I have seen over and over happening is that Having a tool is one thing, but using that tool efficiently is a completely different thing. You have to maintain it. You have to pay for it. But at the same time, you have to have people who understand that tool and can actually use it. So there are multiple aspects of it uh, when it comes to cost management, when it comes to talent management and making sure that your people are able to do the right thing of managing security rather than managing tools. So, so that's why I have made this recommendation as well. And what, I, what I'm saying is that people should thoroughly look into every tool that they have, um, make some kind of chart of functionality that each tool is providing and see where they have overlaps. Uh, also, there if they are under budget cuts like most of us are these days, then see what is the most important crucial tool for them and where they can probably let it go for some time. Uh, so that is going to not only help in, you know, amount of dollars going out, but also using your teams more efficiently because now you have less. Many and organizations have done this. Sorry, one more thing. Many organizations have done this research about, you know, how many tools we have. And it would be amazing if you took an inventory of how, how many security tools you're using. Uh, 40 plus is an average that every organization is using. Some are using way more than that. So this is time to reduce it. And, and it's, it's true. I mean, sort of a zero-based review, which is always difficult, where you start out with a blank sheet of paper and say, how would you build this up? And the other thing that's happening that sometimes we don't recognize is a scope creep, but in sort of a good way for us as consumers in that some vendors are expanding and adding capabilities. And all of a sudden where you needed these two different vendors to cover something, uh, maybe one of the vendor now has subsumed all of that capability. And of course, vendor two doesn't want you to know that because no one will do business with them. So they can yeah. get you to beat their drum and they push it that way. But yeah. let's go on to the third one then is the building a brand of a security team. And so that sounds like an internal message rather than an external message. Is that correct? That is absolutely true. I think, I think people would not be surprised if I say that security teams in general, they have a brand issue. In many cases, for no fault of anyone, security teams have to do certain things for various reasons, for compliance, for better architecture, for putting some controls, a number of areas. And 
in many cases, just because we don't have the right messaging or we don't have the right way of conveying our message. Many times security teams are seen as an evil necessity that everybody has to do or a check mark that everybody has to check to go forward and so on. And, and part of this is just the nature of work. And part of it is because we have not developed appropriate business acumen, business terminology. We have not focused on creating value. We have, we have been too much focused on skewing things, but not thinking many times about the value creation side of it. So I think this is one of the crucial items for success of any security leader who is talking to business folks to build the brand of the security organization and to build the brand, basically what they have to focus more on, how the business is run, what is the value they are creating. I would be saying probably this thing 10 times, the value creation, value creation, value creation. The leaders in information security should always be thinking about that. And then last but not the least, making sure that this value creation that they are working on, it is properly communicated at business level in business terminology. Okay, we are bringing in this new identity and access management system. It is going to improve our customer experience because they don't have to do X, Y, Z. It is going to reduce our cost because we are using five different IAM solutions in the past that is costing us more. Things like that. So everything that people do, they should think about what is the business value it is creating, how they can communicate it so that it is known that the security team is actually making things easier, making more user-friendly, reducing complexity in different systems, and so on. So, so those are the areas that people should always be thinking about. And as I remember, you had that as, as one of your priorities for last year as well. So that could take time yes. going on with the, the current year. The fourth mm. of your six items was to untangle the application web of components. And I'll let you untangle that one here live on the show. <laughs> yeah, this is a new one. And this is a new one because of few things that are happening in industry. So modern applications, number one, everybody knows people are going to cloud and they are building cloud native applications. A necessary part of this is how those applications could be built more quickly, how we can reutilize functionality of some of the other services that may be built by internally or by other teams or maybe consumed from third party and how we can do that. Then there is things like, you know, different systems that are necessary. So for example, everybody is going to use DNS at one point. And you may recall, you know, it has happened multiple times. One DNS server fails and it brings like half of the internet down with it. You have to send messages to people. So there is API integration with some SMS service, or, you know, you are using a third party email service to send emails to your customers and so on. So there are, in any modern application, there are so many things that are happening to make it work. Modern business applications are really, really complex. And many people don't realize how complex they are. And um, what I am 
suggesting here is that for security leaders, it's very crucial that they untangle that complexity and figure out what are the components, dependencies, and third parties, um, open source components, what goes into an application, and what could be the implications. So one thing, for example, many people would not realize how many of open source software they're using in building their application. Even the application that they're building in-house. Developers will go out, they would find a decent library, they would download it and, you know, use this in the application. Uh, fast forward six months down the road, one year down the road, that open source library has 10 new vulnerabilities that are discovered. And now you have a component that nobody knows and you have vulnerabilities because you don't know that that open source library exists in your application. You are not aware of uh, implications of that vulnerability to your application. So it is very crucial for people to understand how their applications are building, built, what are the dependencies internal or external, what are open source or third-party libraries and components they are using, what are third-party services in terms of web services or I mentioned email, DNS, other things that they are depending upon to run this application and make sure to build a complete picture of their application environment and then define your strategy, your, your security strategy about how you're going to deal with it. So that's what I mean. So it's a, it's a longer description, but the applications are becoming more and more complex. And so it seems to me you would be an advocate of the software build of materials concept. For the absolutely. Customer. Absolutely. It's and an, it's a, it's something that people must do. I mean, it, it, there's no way around it. Yeah. And, and of course the SBOM will show you what external resources you're using, but doesn't necessarily say that this chunk of code was written by Bobby, the intern on a summer trip here, and it's probably got all kinds of stuff in it. So again, SBOMs are a perfect solution, but they certainly help a lot in terms of understanding when a commonly available library has a vulnerability analysis, you can very quickly go to the executive team and say, this does affect us or this does not affect us. Yeah. And if it does, you know, you can start taking action right away. I mean, take, take the example of log4j vulnerability. It took people many, many months to just to identify where they are using log4j vulnerable versions because right. people didn't know. Mm -hmm. So. And, and, and here we are. Well, let's go to number five, which is kind of very current, very top of mind before the show, we were talking about some of these things, but build expertise and emerging technologies. Yep. And more and more important because as you can imagine, the, the speed at which these new technologies are being built, it is amazing. Like, Every week you have something new. We were, we were talking about chat GPT and large language models and you know other things that are happening in generative AI and so on. And these have implications on information security. You know, first of all, how just to identify and understand how these technologies work. And number two, what are the implications uh, on security operations for these technologies? And also at the same time, we were talking about value creation, how we can educate our business leaders about how these technologies work and uh, what we need to do about those ones. 
Uh, I just give you one example. I mean, it is it is surprising. I mentioned earlier, I am writing a book on automation and primarily uh, people don't think about like, you know, bash shell scripting or just shell scripting very old, but it does amazing things. So in my book, I have been uh, writing some example shell scripts. Okay, if you want to do action, this is how you do it. And in the past, when I have written some text like this, I used to write a script by myself and spend some time fine-tuning it and, you know, making it more useful so that people can understand it, debugging it sometimes, it doesn't work, and so on. Lately, I am just going to one of these generative AI tools and you give it a prompt. I need a script that can work in a large enterprise to update thousands of servers in multiple countries using SSH. I'm, I'm just making it up. So you, so you make a prompt and it is amazing. You get a shell script better than I could write. And it worked for the first time. You don't have to debug it. And it's, yeah, it's amazing how things are progressing and how important it is for people to make sure that there's there's at least some somebody on their team who is keeping an eye on these new technologies and knows it and communicates to other people. Yeah, we're getting to the point. Every I try to remember the name of it. It was a short story uh, from the 1950s piece of science fiction where a couple Guys go in there and they, they tell this government official, we figured out um, how to do things like long division in these calculations because for generations, computers have been programming other computers and building them, nobody knew how they worked anymore. And they, they figured it out and they yeah, give me a math problem. They, they calculate it. And, and finally, you're like, wow, this is going to be great with the mankind to take over this idea of being able to do stuff. We're not going to be totally beholden to these uh, devices. And what comes out of that, though, was... The uh, military says, oh, great. Now we can go ahead and use humans as weapons. We don't have to just rely on computers because humans aren't affected by EMP. And they're like, wait a minute, this is not what we had in mind. So you <laughs> careful what you wish for sometimes in life. You, you might get some uh, modification. But let's yeah. go on past that to the sixth one, which is to create a security automation role. So I'm curious to see what you have to say about that. Yeah, the work that the security teams do it is getting more, as you can see from the complexity of the mind map itself. There are more and more things that are being added and we are under budget crunch. So what I am recommending here is that many times our natural tendency is that, okay, we have, we have more worlds, let's have, let's hire more people or let's buy more tools or, you know, things like that. And what I'm suggesting here is that it is time for people to really think about what are these things in security operations that could be automated. I think I'm what I'm saying is it seems and sounds like obvious one. And it is obvious one, but practically I know working with many, many people that uh, people are not focusing as much attention as they should on creating this automation. There are many, many things that are repeated and those could be automated. So for example, everybody needs some information to create dashboard or executive reports or, you know, combining 
uh, information from multiple tools in one place where they can see the overall risk that is uh, that exists in their organization. There is uh, there is you know endpoint protection tool and there is vulnerability management tool and they are telling you different things. And if you can automate and bring it together in one place, that is definitely a very helpful thing. So I think it it is time for a security organization to create a role that is focused on security, just like they have a role for vulnerability management, just like they have a role for security operation center, just like they have a role for security architecture. I think they should have a role for automation as well. And would you turn that over to your generative LLM? Sure. Yeah, why not? And it'd be the person who said, yeah, I've outsourced my whole job to a large language model and they only show up to collect their paycheck and everything else is done by the computer. So yeah. obviously we still want to have a little bit of uh, humans in the loop, at least for now. I'm not entirely confident that uh, these systems are going to come up with perfect, perfect answers. And so kind of as a quick summary for our listeners, the six focus areas that you had pointed out for this coming year, increased attention on resilience reducing and consolidating security tools and vendors, building a brand for your security team, mostly for internal, untangling application web of components, building expertise in emerging technologies, and creating a security automation role. Now, if we look at those six imperatives on top of the 13 major categories that we have as part of this CISO mind map, I think the question that somebody looking at this is just kind of overwhelmed and they might ask, how would they know what components of the model are applicable to their situation and, and perhaps more in a detailed level, what's the best way to incorporate those recommendations into their strategy and their business strategy? Yeah, my, my thought is that everybody is not going to work on all of these six recommendations at the same time. Mm-hmm. Different people are going to have some imperative larger than the other one, depending upon where they are in their security journey. Organizations who are very mature, for example, they would be, they should be thinking about automation more. Organizations who are thinking about, you know, under budget crunch, they are thinking about cutting some costs. They should be thinking about how they can reduce their security tools and so on. So it is really, it really depends upon where a security program is and what are the top implications priorities for security leaders in that program. Uh, So they will pick and choose. And I think if people can think about two, three main things that they want to focus out of these six, I think that would be a good idea. Do you you happen to remember how many nodes there are on this mind map? I don't remember. Yeah, I'm looking at it. I think like around 200 of them. And (laughs) the thing I liked about it was I could take a look at it and I'll pick a section and I'll go down the list. Not as you had said, that you have to do everything, but something might come to mind and says, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, that's a good point. I have not been paying careful attention to that little aspect of my program. And therefore I can use that as a refresher. So in a way it's like an encyclopedia. It's not the best way to learn a language, but it's certainly a way to improve your knowledge of a particular topic. And this then serves as an index for which somebody could then go ahead and learn a lot more. Yep. So yep. as we get close to the end of the show here, I'm kind of curious, what do you think is going to be on next year's mind map? Are there any things that you've already seen that it's too late for press for 2023, but you think you'll see coming forward? 
You know, every year I think to be, you know, somebody who can predict the future, I can't. But I, I, I know one thing for sure. I think it looks like things related to generative AI, these are going to play a major role in security operation. I think we are going to see more and more tools incorporating these capabilities. Like, for example, not related to security, for example, if you are using Git and other tools, they, some, some IDEs, they are implementing things like, you know, give you a sample code that you can incorporate if you are a developer, as an example. So I think more and more security tools are going to incorporate these, and that's why it is imperative for people to know it. Um, I think uh, ransomware is not going to go away anytime soon. There's too much money at stake for bad people to get from it. So I think that is going to continue. But other than that, we will see. I mean, there there are always some surprises. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a, a friend of mine who's in his eighties now. His favorite saying is, "You cannot predict the future, and no matter how hard we try, it always ends up as a surprise to us." So, Rafiq, I want to thank you for being part of CISO Tradecraft again, because you're generating all these wonderful ideas. You're organizing them into place. So if somebody wanted to go get a current copy of the CISO mind map, it looks like they could go to your website, right? RafiqRaman.com. Yep. And that's probably the best place. And you have other posts up there and, and Twitter is well, we maintain a tweet deck that you keep out there as well. Yeah, sometimes I post other things on my blog and there is a subscription that people can have an email if they want to get a copy of every new post, which I do probably once or twice a month. Uh, then they can sign up and get a copy of it. But CISO MindMap is always available. Actually, all of the previous versions are also available mm-hmm. on Ignox site. So if people want to see the evolution, they can see it. Well, it sounds great. Well, again, let's wrap up for today. And I think this has been fascinating a chance. I'd probably like to get you on next year and we'll talk about similar things because you've always got something con- to contribute to the community. And again, I thank you for that. For our listeners, Absolutely. this is your host, G. Mark Hardy. I want to thank you for being part of CISO Tradecraft. If you're watching us on YouTube and you haven't subscribed, go click that little subscribe button because that helps us get our, our numbers up. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast channel, you can follow us there. Also, Make sure that you are following us on LinkedIn. Put out a lot of content during the week, above and beyond just the particular podcast. We try to maintain a high signal to noise ratio so that we're not sending you junk or spam or the like, but worthwhile activities to help you improve your knowledge and your understanding in the CISO and the security space. So thank you very much for being part of our audience. And until next time, stay safe out there.